Welcome to the latest episode of Your Wealth with Gemma Dale, a podcast series designed to help you create, grow and protect your wealth. Hi and welcome to this episode of Your Wealth. I'm Gemma Dale, NAB Trades Director of SMSF and Investor Behaviour. We often get requests for specific topics on this podcast, and it's always fascinating to know what investors want to hear more about. Recently, we've had a lot of interest in gold, gold stocks, but more specifically the outlook for the gold price and whether it has a place in an investor's portfolio. To help answer those questions, today I'm speaking with Lachlan Shaw, the Head of Commodities Research for the NAB Markets Research Team, also 20 years in financial markets. He's worked with Treasury. He's got extraordinary experience across a whole range of different things, but particularly in the commodity space. Lachlan, thanks so much for joining me. Great to be here, Gemma, and um, hello to all your listeners. So, Lachlan, can you tell us a bit, let's start where we are now, because I think gold is not necessarily something a lot of our investors have had an acute interest in over the years. Uh, It's sort of not seen as particularly enticing. A lot of our investors are very yield hungry for a start, but it's certainly come onto people's radar in the last year or two. Can you tell us a bit about the current gold price and what's driving its performance at the moment? Yeah, sure. And I think the way you've um, you've summarised there is exactly right. Um, the gold price um, has, I guess, featured a lot more uh, in in people's minds. It's featured a lot more in in the markets, and and that's because um, of the broader macroeconomic backdrop. And that really starts with the the pandemic, of course. Normally, uh, and over time, what tends to happen as we move through economic cycles is when you are in a part of the cycle where there is you know, strong economic growth, strong uh, earnings growth uh, for equities, you know, very healthy labour markets, um, low unemployment rates, what, what you tend to see is investors um, you know, chasing and preferring uh, growth exposures, you know, high yield bonds, equities, et cetera, uh, and shunning safe havens. And in terms of when I think about safe havens, there's really uh, the the key, probably the most important safe haven historically has been the US dollar, US treasuries. But there are other safe havens as well. Japanese yen uh, in in foreign currency is often regarded as a safe haven. And and gold is also often regarded as a safe haven asset. And the reasons for this, uh, again, historically, um, people have preferred gold as a bit of a protection, um, a safe haven protection from times of volat- enhanced volatility, because gold over time has shown, you know, capabilities as a hedge against inflation. Um, it has shown over times, you know, uncorrelated price performance with other asset classes. Um, again, referring to equities, uh, there's a range of features that have lent gold over the years and decades, um, as I say, to be um, an attractive safe haven asset. And, and what we see through the cycle is when, when markets and economies are, are growing well, are going great guns, safe haven demand is pretty low. But when we see inevitably down cycles uh, in economies, uh, recessions, growth slowdowns, or you know, enhanced volatility from geopolitical events or, or whatever, uh, we tend to see increased demand for safe havens. And 2020 has been no different. Uh, the pandemic has clearly impacted global economic growth. 
Uh, it's clearly impacted the financial markets. And, and certainly when uncertainty was um, at its peak back in March and April earlier this year, investors and markets were really scrambling for, for that safe haven protection. And, and the US dollar and gold uh, at various times received uh, a lot of support uh, and, and, a, and a supportive bid uh, in the market. Um, also, we've seen gold, uh, again, because of that safe haven element, um, preferred in terms of um, geopolitical uh, risk. So current uncertainty around the US election um, that's something that has seen the gold price take a bit of support. Uh, we've also seen uh, through time the gold price take support from broader geopolitical issues, uh, conflict, for example, tensions between the US and China, tensions in the Middle East, etc. And then to come back and round it out, and in terms of the pandemic, uh, just that uncertainty that the pandemic has introduced to growth expectations um, in economies and markets when the pandemic is, is clearly spreading quite quickly as we're seeing today uh, in Europe, um, uh, many parts of the Americas um, and other parts of the world, um, gold has also received a bid because of that, uh, that in uncertainty and that threat to the growth outlook. So, so the gold price has really been um, through time, a safe haven against volatility and threats to growth. And 2020 is certainly no different. Um, we've seen the gold price perform pretty strongly this year. And, and so, yeah, I think, I think to sum it all up, um, it, it is really about the broader macro backdrop, growth versus um, recession, volatility, uh, risk. Uh, and there are other factors that that manifest from those two, those drivers, such as trends in the US dollar, trends in US uh, real long yields, and investor positioning, uh, and what we see at the moment in terms of gold exposed exchange traded funds. Um, so it's a very long way to answer the question there, Gemma, um, but hopefully that, that provides a bit of insight. I think that's perfect. You know, given what we've seen this year, you're exactly right. The interest in gold has spiked dramatically as uncertainty has kind of returned to markets. We sort of had this long, slow grind upwards and then the world changed in 2020 for so many of us, for everybody, I guess. Uh, and then suddenly gold's really back on the radar for so many people. Uh, Full disclosure, so we plan to record this podcast last Thursday. So today's the 12th of November. It's a Thursday. Uh, we'll publish a few days from now. We plan to publish last week. Or sorry, we plan to record last week. And we didn't have a certain outcome for the US election. So do you want to talk to us about why we postponed and what's happened to the gold price uh, sort of in this week between when the election uh, was held, and obviously we're all aware there was plenty of postal voting and so on going on prior to the election. Um, but when the results started coming in, and what's happening now? Yeah, look, um, you know what a week, uh, what a different seven days make. Um, you know, so if we think about the U.S. election, you know, last week um, there was certainly uncertainty. The the count was at a relatively early stage. We were starting to see, you know, Joe Biden make advances. In some states, we were seeing Donald Trump uh, make advances in other states, and there were early, you know, early headlines about potential uh, legal challenges, etc. Really, a lot of uncertainty about the likely outcome. 
and a lot of the uh, television networks in the US um, were not calling the outcome of the election. And so, and so again, that was increased uncertainty for the market. There are a whole range of scenarios that may have come to pass in that at that highly uncertain environment. And so really we, we made the call to hold off uh, until there was a bit more clarity on the election outcome and, and roll forward to the weekend. We saw a number of key uh, news outlets in the US call the election for, for the Democrat Joe Biden. Uh, and that also then stoked, I guess, more headlines and news stories about the Trump campaign potentially mounting legal challenges to in state courts, but also potentially going through to the Supreme Court, ostensibly about potential vote fraud. And that, that would call into question some of the results that had been called for key swing states in favour of Joe Biden. So, so what's happened since in terms of the election? The market has largely factored in a, a Joe Biden victory. We've seen prices move in, in ways sympathetic with that. Uh, initially, the gold market rallied uh, Monday morning because the market is anticipating that a Joe Biden presidency will be more dovish in terms of additional fiscal stimulus for the US economy, which is seen to potentially drive more inflation and US dollar debasement. And, and that's one of the factors that drives the gold prices trends in the US dollar. Uh, but then the, the gold price came off midweek when the market started to accept the, the likely, probably the most likely outcome of a Republican-controlled Senate, a Joe Biden presidency. Uh, and that would likely mean Joe Biden will, will, will struggle to get his full agenda through uh, the, US, the US House. And so that was that was interesting as we moved through this week, and then, and then a few days ago, of course, we had the fantastic news about um, very encouraging results from the Pfizer BioNTech uh, pandemic vaccine. Um, Forty, almost forty-three thousand volunteers received that vaccine in stage three trials, and the vaccine has reported a more than ninety percent effectiveness. Um, Sixty to seventy percent effectiveness was was being suggested by experts as, 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 a, as a good result. And so this, this result really set markets racing midweek. Uh, for the gold price, it was, a, it was a negative. And, and the reason is markets looking at the likelihood or, or the increased likelihood of effective and successful vaccines being rolled out into the global economy, you know, from the first half next year, most likely, and particularly, and then through the rest of 2021. And that was seen to make it more likely that growth would recover strongly. Um, central banks would then potentially be seen to start to pivot away from stimulus, to start to indicate that potentially interest rates globally would start to be increased as growth recovers over the next few years and low interest rates in particular, very low US long bond yields, real long bond yields have been a very strong support for the gold price in the last three years. Uh, the gold price has risen as US real long yields have fallen. 
And in a world of central banks starting to reduce monetary stimulus over the next two or three or four years as economic growth recovers and as the world economy recovers from the pandemic, that's likely to be um, a challenging environment for US uh, real long yields. They are likely to to move sideways or potentially increase. And uh, if they were to move sideways and increase, that would likely mean, certainly if past historical relationships are any guide, that would likely mean the gold price will move sideways or fall. And so it's been it's been a really amazing week, to be honest, Gemma. Um, so much has happened in the last seven days. And we've now, as we sit here today, uh, the gold price is now trading around that 1860 US dollars uh, an ounce mark. You know, at the start of the week, uh, we were edging up towards 1940, 1950 uh, US dollars an ounce. So um, there's certainly been a lot of movement this week. It's been wild. <laughs> it's been an incredible. It's just yeah. been wild. It's, uh, it's been fascinating. Uh, also, you know, I record this podcast uh, on a fortnightly basis talking to different experts about different things. And the pandemic and the US election are the two big topics for this year, right? They've just been, it's hard to avoid them. It's hard to talk about anything else. And the perspectives on how, a vaccine would change things, you know, they were pretty obvious, right? Once you've got a vaccine, then we can start opening up again, there'll be growth, blah, blah, blah. But how the US election was going to play out, that's been really interesting because the perspective was the worst case scenario is a Republican Senate, a Democrat House and a contested election for the presidency, which is exactly where we find ourselves, right? Trump hasn't... Mm. Declared right. for Biden um, at present. Twitter is an interesting place to go. Every now and then, it's interesting to see what people are thinking. But there are plenty of people who are uh, supportive of Trump's legal challenges and who point out, rightly, I understand that you know, just because the media calls the election for Biden doesn't mean that he's won it. Um, so this just extraordinary scenario that was for many, many months talked about as the absolute worst case, right? The worst thing that could possibly happen is this, uh, I don't know, what do you call it? A neutered parliament? I don't know what you call it, a Congress where they can't move forward because the presidency Log jams, has... really, in a way. Log jams. That's a much better term. Thank you. Um, you know, but they, they can't move forward and there are legal challenges and you've got a president who won't leave the White House and, yeah. uh, and all of these different scenarios and also this issue where we don't know whether stimulus will be able to continue. They certainly haven't successfully gotten uh, the final tranche of stimulus through uh, the Congress... Uh, Nancy Pelosi has not managed to do that um, while Trump was in power or prior to the election. So if that's going to continue, that's really negative for markets. And yet markets have rallied like notice business in the last few days. So we've had our best week since April, both in Australia and in the US. So uh, the worst possible scenario has come to pass and yet everything's rallying like crazy. The one question I'd love to ask you, because I'm fascinated by this, is that we've seen gold performing incredibly well this year, despite what's happened in the last week. And equities got absolutely hammered and then have performed incredibly well this year. Um, the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ are up over the year to date, which is mm. astonishing in in any concept. There's certainly, when you look at the data, you know, the S&P 500 is 
effectively driven by five stocks, right? And if you strip out the other 495, or you strip out those five, then the market's actually done pretty poorly. But mm. um, how unusual is that to see equities and gold performing well at the same time? It's not, it's not normal times. Um, but then again, we're, we're not living in normal times. And, and I think here... I think here for a clue on on the market and how it's reacting, we can we can look at the GFC and and the the parts of the GFC episode that I think are important here is not necessarily the initial shock, um, a pandemic in terms of a shock to economies is is different to a, a housing market crisis and then. A banking liquidity crisis, which is really how the GFC kicked off. But I think what's instructive is to look at the way that policymakers responded. And in the GFC, we saw coordinated, unprecedented, enormous uh, central bank support for the financial markets. Sharp, quick cuts to interest rates, huge asset buying programs to provide the banking and financial system with liquidity at a time when confidence, counterparty confidence especially, was at an all-time low because people were scared of trading with other people that might not be solvent. And, and what we saw after that initial policy response was government fiscal policy also stepped in and helped. Deficits blew out as government spending increased Central bank balance sheets expanded, uh, again, for that time, at an unprecedented rate. And what resulted was strong equity markets, strong gold price, at least for the first couple of years. And that was, at the time, it was a little counterintuitive. I remember thinking about that and observing and being in that market and thinking, hang on, we've just had one of the biggest housing crisis and banking crises for, for decades uh, we've got all this free money in the economy. There's quantitative easing left, right, and centre, and the markets, the markets are just are just going higher and higher week in week out. I think in many ways there are parallels between the GFC policy response and how markets reacted, and the pandemic policy response. Um, we have seen this year coordinated enormous monetary easing, and in fact. You know, unprecedented gets used a lot, has been used a lot as a word to describe this year, but it's really the best word. When you look at the expansion of central bank balance sheets globally this year, it is it is extraordinary. Several trillion dollars of new money has been, of assets has been added to central bank balance sheets. And that means that there's several trillion dollars of new money that's been injected into the global economy this year. Uh, on the fiscal side, um, the, the, the numbers that have been put into major economies, you know, so the US total fiscal stimulus is, would, would be in the order of three, four, five trillion. In China, it's been something in the order of three and a half to four and a half trillion, uh, around about the same size as China's response to the GFC. In Europe, um, negotiations continue on further tranches around a coordinated stimulus package worth up to uh, two trillion US. So these numbers are eye-watering 
And when there's so much liquidity in the market, yet true underlying fundamental activity is still sort of caught up in the shock, uh, as in economies around the world are still dealing with the actual pandemic. And so we're not seeing broad, consistent consumer and business confidence coming through in broad and consistent increases in spending and investment yet. All that stimulus money is looking for a bit of a home. And it's thinking, well, we've got this pandemic that will run its course. We've got a lot of work going into vaccines and treatments and and that is expected to be successful, just a question of degree. And we're seeing we're seeing now more news on that and that, that news has, has been really, really good. And so the market's looking into next year and the year after and thinking, well, there's this huge amount of money in the global economy. In a year or two's time, it's likely, not guaranteed, but, but it's quite possible that many economies will be beyond the practical impacts of the pandemic. And so growth will be back onto, you know, I guess a, a square of footing, if you like. Um, huge stimulus in the market. That's a very constructive environment for, for equities um, observed and, and thought about through time. For the gold price, the trade here has been around a couple of things. Number one, it's about the US dollar in that all of this stimulus coming into the US right now uh, from the Federal Reserve Bank, Federal Reserve, you know, huge increase in the amount of USD, US dollar liquidity in circulation. And, you know, NAB FX strategists, as well as others in the market, have a view that the US dollar has commenced a cyclical depreciation. The US dollar on a trade weighted basis has already fallen from, um, it's already fallen more than 8%. In, in the last year or so. Uh, and our strategists anticipate further falls uh, of probably at least that much in the next few years, if not more. Now, US dollar commodity prices tend to go up when the US dollar falls. And so, and so I think that's part of the reason why the gold price has also been rising at the same time as equities have been rising this year. I think also, there's been an argument around, uh, and this relates to the US dollar uh, depreciation story, but, but this idea of monetary debasement, you know, central banks just creating a lot of new money um, means that the value of that money goes down. Uh, and again, we're Sorry seeing to that- to interrupt, um, yep. just a question on monetary debasement. We're familiar with the concept of inflation, right? And yep. yet- Consumer prices, and I find this really interesting because consumer prices are not increasing at a rapid rate, and yet you want to buy a house and you're in real trouble. <laughs> so, yeah, so there's yeah. some consumer prices that are going way up, right? Um, it's just what's, what's captured in the CPI. Can you explain to me the difference between monetary debasement and inflation? Well, the, the ideas are linked. Um, monetary debasement is, is an idea that if you have, you know, an amount of a currency, for example, the exchange rate of that currency relative to other goods and services will be at a given level, determined by the relative quantities of each of the uh, the currency, but also the relative quantities of those goods and services. If you were to double the amount of currency on issue, that there was no change in the quantity of other goods and services in the economy, um, the exchange rate of 
um, between that currency and goods and services should fall. And I think that's the idea. And so when we look at the US dollar in its role as a reserve currency globally, when there's more supply of US dollars, but the quantity of other goods and services doesn't change as quickly, the idea is the US dollar will fall. Now, that's a little bit different to inflation and consumer prices. A consumer price index is, is an average of prices across a, across a basket of goods and services. And depending on what's in the basket, you get a different rating on inflation. So to go to your point, Gemma, housing purchase costs are not in that basket. Rent is in the basket. You know, other, other curious anomalies, you know, energy costs, so petrol. Um, the Reserve Bank and other central banks have measures of inflation that include what they call volatile items and then exclude volatile items. Yet you and me, we, when we go to put petrol in the tank of the car, we can't exclude that from our, uh, from our measure of, of inflation. So inflation will, will reflect changes in currencies to the extent that the inflation basket reflects the basket of goods and services captured by the exchange rate. So to sort of summarize, take the Australian dollar. If the US dollar does fall as our strategists anticipate, the Australian dollar will rise. And in fact, our strategists forecast the Aussie to hit 78 cents by the end of this year. And I think moving higher into 2022, oh, sorry, end of 2021, and then moving higher into 2022. As the Australian dollar falls, sorry, as it rises, that reduces the amount of money we need to spend on imported goods. And so in the CPI for Australia, the component relating to imports will actually grow less quickly as the Australian dollar increases. And so the concepts are linked, but they're not quite the same based on how central banks and authorities define the CPI basket, the, the, inflation, the inflation measure. Thank you. That's super helpful. <laughs> it's also, this monetary debasement concept seems to be a global one, whereas inflation tends to be more uh, a domestic issue. Um, yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. And, um, you know, again, if, if you look at this idea of central banks everywhere have just massively expanded their balance sheets this year, um, and so you might think, well, so then, so then exchange rates between those different currencies should move in some relationship to the relative expansion of every country's money supply. That's sort of what we should be seeing. But it, it, the idea with the US dollar depreciating is the Fed has expanded by more than other central banks. Oh, that's really interesting. Because it's hard as a as a non-economist to get a feel for the magnitude of each country's moves. I mean, you know that they're all doing it. Um, and certainly in Australia, it's interesting because we had a, a government that was in a very, very strong position going into the GFC. There was certainly some... Um, some spending it does make me think of the you know we are all Keynesians now. It feels like every yeah. every government and every central bank are Keynesians now. Um, 
yeah, we, we went into it all with a relatively strong footing, you know, 12 years ago and didn't have to expand anywhere near as dramatically, frankly, thanks to commodities in China from what I can mm. gather. Uh, yeah, and now, yeah, now we're throwing money at the, at the, uh, at the crisis with the pandemic. Um, mm. Again, having had a much more benign experience with it, certainly from a medical perspective um, or a health perspective. Mm-hmm. And right. um, and yeah, to to get that perspective going, the US is throwing a hell of a lot more out of this, right? It's a it's a bigger, it, it, it's proportionately bigger, not just in in uh, numeric terms. Mm. Yeah, that's right. So then, with all of that in mind, yeah, and this this extraordinary change, I guess, from what those of us who sort of studied economics at school and at uni learned, you know, that equities and gold tend to yeah, gold is a hedge, right? Mm. If it's a hedge, theoretically, it should be performing well when equities are performing badly, not performing mm. well when equities are performing well. What are your thoughts on this idea that clearly investors are looking at gold as a store of value mm. in uncertain times? Do you think that still holds true? This is a great question, and it goes to the heart of, of people's belief about gold's role. I think... My observation would be, you know, in the in the GFC leading up to the GFC, when the U.S. housing market was starting to crack, and we were seeing dislocation in financial markets, you know, risk and volatility started to increase, and at that time, markets started to get on the bid for for gold, as as a safe haven slash store of value, if you like. But then, when things got really out of control, when when the cracks blew out to you know big big gaps in the financial markets, liquidity seized up. There were all sorts of dislocations playing out. The market, the regime switched on a dime to you know when when things go really awry, the the asset of of last resort, the, the safe haven of safe havens is the US dollar. And that's what happened in the GFC. Um, gold got a bid leading up to uh, the most disruptive events in the GFC. But then when those events unfolded, uh, gold crashed like most other assets and everyone fled to the US dollar. And so I think we've seen a little bit of that sort of trading this year. We did see the gold price trading reasonably ahead of the pandemic really ramping up outside of China through through March particularly. But then when when we really started to see and realise, oh, hang on, Europe, UK, US, you know, many parts of the world had a problem with this pandemic exploding onto the scene, there was a very quick rotation towards the US dollar um, and gold sold down with equities as well. And then... We saw central bank response, huge amounts of liquidity, huge amounts of stimulus, equities and gold got the bid. Um, and I should also add, a lot of other commodity prices got bid too because of this idea around the US dollar falling and stimulus. So it wasn't just gold. So it, it does really, I think, go to the point, you know, I, I look at gold and I, I would certainly agree that it, it can be a safe haven against times of increased volatility and risk. But but when things go really awry, you know, the market can be pretty fickle. 
and in history that's that's led to the US dollar being the preferred safe haven protection. There is a related issue around portfolio diversification. And I think here we've seen in, in recent years, you know, the stellar growth in gold-backed ETF funds, huge growth in the last 10, 15 years in that sector. And, you know, looking across portfolio allocations uh, in global investors, you know, many commentators still think that, that the sector's underweight gold. And so the idea there is, again, investors are seeking out diversification. And ideally, we've, we've, we've seen growth in the last 10, 15 years in, in hedge funds and private equity, in a whole range of assets that should be uncorrelated over time with traditional returns from equities and bonds, et cetera. Um, gold is, it's the same idea that, that investors are seeking out uncorrelated returns as a way to diversify um, their portfolios against, against traditional um, boom-bust cycles in equities and bonds. And so I think that has some merit too. It's not, as you, as you pointed out, Gemma, it's not playing out as, as the rule books should suggest it should be playing out at the moment because we have seen gold and equities ripping higher at the same time for much of this year. Um, but I think historically, that's the, that's the basis and the ground, the grounds for investors to be seeking out a bit of diversification. That's a really interesting one. Um, I'm always fascinated by the weight of money argument. Um, you know, there's certainly plenty of people who subscribe to that. If you see the, the bidding up of anything that looks like it's about to be included in the index, Tesla's the classic example, right, with everyone yeah. throwing money at it and then uh, it doesn't make it into the S&P 500 and falls 10% overnight. Um, it's kind of amazing, some of this stuff here. So this is real... There's a real sector in the market who are looking at things in terms of future demands that may be purely portfolio decisions that are made rather than sort of looking at the merits of the um, of the underlying asset. Mm. So where I was going to go with this is, do you see a place for gold or any of the sort of precious metals and commodities in a retail investor's portfolio? I know it's a difficult question because you're uh, that's not your primary role, but do you see that place? Look, I think it comes down to the individual investors objectives um you know gold doesn't pay a dividend it doesn't pay interest um in fact physical gold uh, costs you to hold it you have to rent space to store it you have to pay um people to store it for you uh, unless you want to stick bullion under your bed which some people do but but so, so gold is not something that that lends itself to traditional valuation techniques for assets that generate earnings and and pay you know return capital through dividends or interest or coupon payments to to owners where where gold i think is attractive is is again where where investors are looking for ideally to to hold a number of different asset categories asset types where the returns over time and, and normally are uncorrelated. And, and the idea there is to, you know, so, so BHP talks about this idea of diversified uncorrelated returns across their portfolio. BHP has a portfolio of different commodities in their business and at different times in the cycle, 
you know, for example, the copper business might make a lot of money one year, but um, you know, the um, the oil business might make less money that same year. And then the, the next year it could be reverse. And so the idea is the same where, where investors are seeking to diversify and seeking to reduce volatility, seeking to, I, I guess, protect risk adjusted returns. I think gold, there is a role for gold. There is also a question here around the best way to express that, that appetite. Do you express it in terms of buying uh, an ETF or do you express it in terms of buying gold equities? And again, um, this is not advice, but I think, I think people need to understand the risk. Um, a gold ETF gives you exposure to the underlying commodity and only the underlying commodity. A, a gold stock or a fund of gold stocks gives you exposure to uh, the underlying commodity, but in addition, it gives you exposure to the businesses that are that you're investing in. And, and that carries additional risk and it carries additional opportunity. So there comes operational risk, development risk, execution risk, but there also comes opportunity to expand and grow businesses to uh, for explorers or for businesses that are exploring, um, opportunities to find and define and develop more gold and lift production and create value. And in those circumstances, not only do you get the, the underlying commodity exposure to the gold price, but you also get exposure to, to the management teams of those businesses and to what they can do and what they can find and what they can build uh, and, and the risks of that. So I think it comes down to, ultimately it comes down to what the investor's objective is. I would just finish off by saying and remembering, um, you know, gold doesn't pay a dividend, doesn't give a coupon, um, but it can offer um, diversification and portfolio diversification benefits. And then in addition to that, it helps to recognize the additional risks and opportunities of buying gold equities uh, versus gold ETFs. That's a really great summary because, um, you know, as you and I have discussed off line, plenty of our investors wouldn't buy a gold ETF, but they'll very happily buy ASX-listed gold miners. Uh, and, um, yeah. you know, some explorers, some some with existing businesses and so on. And uh, and it's interesting, the volatility there doesn't seem to bother them at all. Um, they're happy to take that execution risk and uh, and see where it takes them. One last question. So talking about gold miners, supply and demand tends to be the driver of price for most things. That's a theory in <laughs> economics anyway. It's the theory. That's um, right. I, all I'm learning over the years is just theory doesn't mean a great deal in practice. Um, and, uh, but it, uh, when you look at miners and you look at the existing gold price, how much new supply affects the price? Is it affected very much at all or is it really the, <laughs> the current amount in circulation is, is going to be, uh, I guess, the, um, it's almost a fixed stock, right? Yeah, look, it's a great question and it's, um, it's a particularly uh, interesting and curly question when you pose it in, in the gold market. Um, the, the gold market is a bit unique in that there are, on the demand side, there is actually sort of, I guess, what we would think about as fundamental demand. So jewellery, 
um, fabrication into technology and manufactured goods. Um, you know, there is there is a market there. There is there is demand. There is actual consumption of gold for those things. Uh, and incidentally, this year, um, particularly jewellery, has been very very weak. Um, so so even the gold price has been doing quite well. Traditional fundamental gold demand has been very soft, which is which is I think um, a pretty interesting reflection. But then in addition to that on the demand side, we have the ETF participation, we have a range of activity in the financial markets. And then, and then we have central bank participation and, and central banks have an interest in gold. Um, it's, it's a, it's a pseudo currency. Uh, it trades against a whole range of other currencies. Central banks have tended to hold gold as, as part of their reserves. But the funny thing with central banks, they can be buyers or they can be sellers of gold. And we've seen their role change through time. And so, you know, that's interesting too. On the supply side of gold, you've got mine supply and then you've got effectively scrap, um, which is, you know, recycling uh, for all intents and purposes. And, and in general, what you would think should happen is as the gold price goes up, supply increases. You know, as miners think, oh, I can make more money, so I'm going to lift production. And and people that have great aunt um, Merle's famous gold jewelry, which nobody really wants to wants to wear, and perhaps they can recycle that. Um, and people, you know, you would expect might be more likely to do so when the price of gold is high. And as I already mentioned a second ago, on the demand side, um, one of the reasons that that physical Jewelry and fabrication gold demand has been soft this year is because of high price, but also because of the pandemic. Um, the thing with gold supply is decisions by gold miners to invest in new mines, to commit capital to new projects that are risky to execute, as we, as we mentioned a second ago, that decision comes down to what gold price that business thinks they can achieve over time to underwrite the economics of that particular project. And what's interesting is it's very obvious that some of the big gold producers re remain very conservative. Uh, in fact, Barrick Gold Corp, the world's number one and number two miner, um, said in their annual results uh, analyst briefing, they are planning new projects with a 1200 US dollar gold price. Current spot, as I said at the start of the session, is 1860 or thereabouts. So the ability for supply to grow from miners is wholly dependent on what those mining companies think the gold price will be. And in general, you know, my observation from the commodity markets over my career to date would be if a, if a commodity price regime changes, i.e. if prices step higher and stay higher or they step lower and stay lower, in general, the industry will need a period of time before it's convinced that those changes are permanent. Um, and that period of time might be, it, it, you know, it, it could be 12, 18, 24 months in some cases. The point is, I, I don't think the industry would necessarily be, certainly at the, at the smaller mid cap, the mid market part of the market, absolutely those businesses are trying to develop projects, um, execute and generate and create value. But at the larger end, you know, I'm not sure that um, the big guys globally 
would be looking at the current spot prices yet and saying, okay, well, well we're pretty confident that we can achieve whatever it might be, 1800 in real terms over 30 years to generate the economic rates of return to justify the investment in new supply. So, so I guess that's a long way of saying, um, I'm not sure we'll see, I, I think we'll see supply growth uh, in gold, but we're not in a market yet where, um, certainly not at the big end of, of town where the industry is, is, is on a rampant gold rush to go and develop a whole bunch of new mines. I don't think we're, we're there yet. That's really helpful. Um, certainly there'll be plenty of our investors who will uh, be thinking about that. <laughs> yeah. So Lachlan, you and your team, uh, so you're talking about the FX guys and all of you guys produce amazing content and research uh, and it's immensely valuable to be able to keep up with this stuff and you have specialised content on commodities research. How do people get your stuff? Yeah, it's a good question, uh, Gemma. So, so we, um, we produce um, a range of research, as you said. We produce an overnight daily um, suitable for retail and wholesale uh, investors. And we produce a range of other research products at various times through the year suitable for a wholesale audience only. Probably the best way for listeners to engage with that would be to reach out to your NAB contact um, and, and request them either to arrange for you to receive that, uh, that research or to, for them to reach out to me directly and, and I can um, put the wheels in motion there. Or the other option is, um, you know, the good news is we've just uh, uh, updated to a new research distribution system which has the ability for uh, clients of NAB to uh, self-select in a, a client preference center. And so clients can go in and they can choose the market's research they would like to receive. And upon confirming that they are non-wholesale or wholesale, and they meet the, um, the standards of being a wholesale client for the purposes of the Corporations Act and compliance, they can, they can pick and, and choose and select which research uh, they would like to receive. And so there's two ways there. Um, this, uh, the commodity research product. And I'd, I'd absolutely encourage your listeners to reach out to their NAB contact if they're unsure. And I'm sure that we can, um, we can get that set up. Thank you so much. If anyone's not quite sure how to do it, just send us an email uh, at yourwealth@nab.com.au, and we'll set you up. It's, um, we'll, we'll find a way. We'll find a way to make it happen. We will. Uh, <laughs> Lachlan Shaw from NAB Markets Research, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much, Gemma, and um, I hope your uh, listeners enjoyed that, and um, we'll speak again soon. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening also. As always, we love hearing from you, whether you'd like some more research on commodities or anything else from the markets research team, or uh, you've got some feedback for us, you've got some ideas for topics because we do cover them, as you can hear today, please email us at yourwealth@nab.com.au. I look forward to talking to you again soon. I'm Gemma Dale. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Your Wealth with Gemma Dale. To stay up to date, please subscribe to this podcast series or email us at yourwealth at nab.com.au. Please note that any advice provided in this podcast has been prepared without taking into account your objectives, financial circumstances or needs. Before acting, you should consider the appropriateness of the information.
To find out more, please visit nab.com.au.